We get to rebuild the world we want to live in. And we will, and we start by doing that in our own communities. We were born for this day, we were born for this time, and we get to actually create the world that you and I have been talking about and envisioning for so many years, right? That's Leslie Manukian, and this is episode 443 of the Wellness Wisdom Podcast. Wellness Wisdom, we discover the physical and emotional intelligence to live life well. How can we bring awareness and reverence to all the little mundane elements of our life? Wellness, I think, is a combination of understanding your own internal wants, needs, and desires. If you really want to take guidance from your soul, you have to be ready to realize that many of the things that you're asking for guidance on, your ego has some kind of an addiction to or an investment in. Understanding that we are a piece of nature, you know, nature is where we belong, I think is a very comforting thing to understand that would certainly feed into wellness well. Hey friend, it's Josh Trent, and this is the Wellness Wisdom Podcast where you will get the physical and emotional intelligence you need to live your life well. This is episode 443 with my friend and colleague, Leslie Manukian. Health freedom, your bodily autonomy, informed consent, and how your choices are censored. And you and I know that what you put in your body and inside your body is the most important choice you could ever make for your health and wellness. But what about your bodily autonomy, your informed consent, and how your choices are now being censored? In other words, What if you didn't know you didn't know something about your health freedom laws and what others, including medical providers and the government, are allowed and most importantly, not allowed to do when it comes to your body? This is a really important and powerful episode because after the wake of a two-week psychological experiment that turned into over two years that bankrupted millions of people and was a criminal attack, a direct attack on your health freedom and the freedom of your children, in this episode, Leslie returns She came to us in the middle of lockdowns, in the thick of it. She's coming back on the podcast with a two-year story and so much to share. She's got a background in award-winning documentary films. She was a successful Wall Street business executive who chose to leave Wall Street at the height of her career in order to pursue a more meaningful path. She's a qualified homeopath, nutrition and well-being enthusiast, and a health freedom advocate. She's also the founder of the Health Freedom Defense Fund, which you need to know about. All your neighbors, all your friends, and your family needs to know about. Freedom starts in the mind, and the mind is shown on the body. In other words, as above, so below. You know this to be true, yes? In addition to the intelligence you're getting today, I want to invite you to go over and get your gut-healthy turkey and beef sticks that increase the gut-brain axis from Paleo Valley at joshtrent.com forward slash Paleo Valley. You can use the code Josh. You'll get 15% off. I'll talk more about this later. But head over there right now if you've been looking for a healthy, quick, clean snack. Pick up some turkey and beef sticks that'll actually help your digestion, which has a clear connection with the gut-brain axis for mental health. A lot of people right now are struggling with mental health and they're looking at all the supplements that can save them, but it starts with food. I eat these every single day. joshtrent.com forward slash Paleo Valley. Uh, my favorite is the turkey sticks. They're the best. Pick up a multi-pack, joshtrent.com forward slash Paleo Valley. Use the code Josh for 15% off. We're getting into this podcast today. You're going to learn about the Health Freedom Defense Fund, what has really transpired in the past two years since Leslie was on the show in the middle of lockdowns. We'll explore bodily autonomy, how companies make statistics favor their financial goals. In other words, how companies make statistics lie, including the CDC, the WHO, many governmental organizations. It's not conspiracy. You know what the difference is between conspiracy theory and reality? 
about six months. <laughs> about six months. We shall see the truth that's coming out now. We're going to talk about the Health Freedom Defense Fund mission of fighting mandates and the spiritual and informational war, which you're not going to want to miss. This is about an hour in. Leslie goes deep into the misuse of mRNA spoken about by the patent owner himself. You'll end with education on the fight for freedom and what you can do right now today to make sure that your body and your child's body and the bodies of people you know remain autonomous. I don't care who you are, whether it's in, unfortunately, the disgrace of what happened in Nazi Germany or what's happening right now with the Chinese Communist Party or here in the United States, no one, and I repeat, no other human being ever gets to tell you what you put on or inside your body, period, end of story. If you don't agree with that, you may not want to listen to this episode. Actually, I changed my mind. If you don't agree with that, then I implore you. I implore you to listen to this episode in its full length. Please, my friend, share this podcast. Share it as far and wide as you can. We need more health, freedom, and bodily autonomy with informed consent now than ever before. I do not believe in doom and gloom. I believe in humanity. And it's conversations like this with Leslie that fuel the intelligent hope and love that this world needs. Go to joshtrent.com forward slash 443 for all the full show notes, resources, and the discounts at joshtrent.com forward slash store. Let's dig in with Leslie. Leslie, welcome back. We have had quite the journey since you came on in 2020. How are you? Hasn't it been crazy? Gosh, it was May of 2020. Um, <sighs> like something kind of a movie. I feel like we're I living know. in a movie, Leslie. And I remember you saying that that after the the recording that you had so many comments and stuff that it was one of the craziest responses you've ever had. And um, we're kind of in another one of those crazy situations, but I'm doing, you know, really well. I've taken all of that foresight that I had about what was happening and focused it in, focused it in on trying to create a solution. And so that's what I've been doing. And I'm pretty even though I don't have a newborn baby like you do, I'm underslept <laughs> as well because <laughs> I'm working so much and, you know, I just do everything I do because I care. I'm not making any money out of it or anything. It's just because I yeah. want to make a difference on the planet. And so it's very exciting. Give people it's an a little exciting bit of your... time to be alive, you know? It is. It's an exciting time to be alive. And whenever has growth, if you look at a tree, when a tree grows through a rock or concrete, it, it has to go through a bit of a... a, a a transformation process. And that's what we're going through. We're going through a transformation process. A lot of the comments on our episode, we're going to link that right below. It's episode 344. Um, that was when we talked about a lot of things that were very polarizing. But one of the comments that I received time and time again, were people trying to discredit you and people saying, well, she's not a doctor, you know, what's her background, blah, blah, blah. So let's just take a breath and let's just share your background quickly with people. So they know this has been a long journey for you, 15, 20 years of you doing uh, very intensive research. So share people with your background if they didn't watch 344. Sure. And it even goes back further than just when I started re researching vaccines. Um, basically, I went to the University of Chicago and got my MBA there. And when I graduated, I got hired by Goldman Sachs and I went to go and work at Goldman Sachs and in New York City. And they transferred me after a couple of years, they transferred me to the London office so I was involved in European shares, European stocks. And when I was there was at the very, very beginning of when technology stocks were starting to take off. And I decided and asked management if it was okay. I wanted to put on um, a telecom and technology conference. And so I did. I put on the very first ever European technology and tech conference that ever happened anywhere 
in Europe from any investment bank while I was at Goldman. And I'm sharing that because I was a telecom and tech geek, but an analyst, you know, that's like, I wasn't an analyst when I was at Goldman, but that's what I was really focused on is going deep into these things. Okay. And then I left Goldman and I went to go and work for one of my clients, which is a, at the time was the largest publicly traded asset management firm in the world, Alliance Capital. And there I became the telecom and technology analyst. I'm an analyst geek by nature. That's what I do. Within 10 months, I was running the research department. I'd been um, promoted to head of European research for Alliance. And within a short period of time after that, I was also head of portfolio management. So I was responsible for running the research teams and deciding which European stocks would go into our global, our international, and our European portfolios. I'm an analyst. That's what I do. <laughs> That's what I did on Wall Street. But I saw some things on Wall Street, which I found very disquieting to say the least. For instance, I had the CEO of a giant pharmaceutical company tell me that he knew that his new blockbuster drug was going to kill some people, but that the good news was they still would do 7 billion in peak sales off of the back of this drug. And I just, for me, it was just a massive wake up call that I was not doing something that I felt really good about. It was actually soul destroying for me and I needed to change. So I did that. I was on wall street for 11, 12 years, somewhere like somewhere in there. Um, but I was sick and I didn't know why I was sick. And I was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And I kept going to the doctor. And finally, my doctor said, I know you're sick. You know, you're sick. Can't help you. Western medicine can't help you. Go and see an acupuncturist or a homeopath. And that really started my kind of healing journey in earnest. I ended up enrolling in homeopathy school. The very first day during orientation, I heard about some controversies around the whole um, V word debate. <laughs> I don't want to get you flagged again. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You can mention it. That's okay. all right. We just won't put it in the title. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, the whole, you know, the vaccine debate. And the thing mm -hmm. is, I had never, ever challenged or questioned anything about vaccines. I'd always gotten every shot. Um, I got lined up at school when I was a kid. You know, I was born in 1964 and um, um, they were rolling smallpox still out and things like that. Was it smallpox? No, I can't remember what it was now, the big one that you get in your arm. But anyway. What happened was I learned about the debate. I read a book called Vaccines, Are They Really Safe and Effective? And I couldn't believe that this book had over 960 footnotes in it. And I thought, this is this just can't be right. It documented a huge spectrum of adverse reactions to these shots. And I thought they were life-giving, right? I thought there was no downside. In fact, I thought they were so life-giving that I went, before I went to Southeast Asia, before I started my um, job at Goldman in New York in 1992, I went to the health center at the University of Chicago and said, I'm going to Southeast Asia for two months. I need my shots. And the nurse said, what do you want? And I said, well, whatever you want. And I literally put my arms out and she just gave me, and I think she gave me every childhood vaccine and she gave me typhoid and cholera and hep A and B and anything and everything that was available. And I've never been the same since. Mm. Anyway, um, that whole experience spurred me to go and do my own research and find out whether or not was in, what was in that book was true or not. And I made The Greater Good, an award-winning winning documentary on vaccines. And we spoke with people from CDC, FDA, um, major vaccine developers and patent holders, and then those who challenged them and questioned them, people like Barbara Lowe Fisher of the National Vaccine Information Center and Dr. Larry Pilevsky, who was a 
who is a well-known pediatrician who speaks out on these issues and treats kids um, to try and help recover them and also just is a pediatrician who treats children. Um, anyway, made that movie and then spent seven, eight, almost 10 years. It's If you've ever made a documentary film, you know that it is a like a major opus. <laughs> it's not something that you do in yes. a few months, at least if it's not I mean, we made a feature length, um, uh, you know, Oscar kind of quality submission. And, and then afterwards I traveled the world speaking and everything and did everything I could. And I really thought, I mean, I was so naive. I thought, well, gosh, if we just tell people what's going on, then the people in power will do something about it. If we just go and <laughs> we make, bring this to the public's attention then those in power will address it. And actually it was just the opposite. We were derided and smeared and the doctors that we talked with, the scientists, they got their funding cut. Um, I mean, it was horrible what happened, Josh, really, but also eye-opening. So, I mean, I did all this research, you know, for a very long time and then come to 2020. When 2020 first hit, I knew within the first few days of January that something really bad was going to happen and that we were going to face what I'd been worrying about for 20 years. And the reason I've been worried about it for 20 years is that people have to understand that they've been putting in place for decades, all the different mechanisms to actually lock us down, to take away our rights and do what they did in the last two years. Didn't happen overnight. First, you had the Patriot Act in 2001. And two weeks later, you had the Model State Emergency Health Powers Act. So the Patriot Act allows um, warrantless surveillance of Americans, which hitherto had been illegal. And then you had the um, PREP Act, sorry, the Model State Emergency Health Powers Act legislation, which was introduced two weeks after that in October of 20 of 2001. And that legislation is really important. It's been ratified in whole or in part in 43 states. And what's interesting is that that legislation in different pieces allows or it accords extraordinary powers to state health departments and governors in the event of a disease outbreak. Imagine that. And then in 2005, we had the PREP Act, which then granted you know, all this extraordinary power to the president and HHS during an, an epidemic and importantly provided immunity from any kind of lawsuits, um, financial or legal. So anyway, when 2000 came along and then you and I met in April or May and had a call, I knew what was going on and I decided that I was going to do something about it. And so I founded Health Freedom Defense Fund and Health Freedom Defense Fund is my nonprofit, which seeks to educate people about all sorts of health issues, most importantly about bodily autonomy and the importance of that and, um, and about our rights and challenges when necessary. So all I've been doing for the last two years mm. pretty much is filing lawsuits and Health Freedom Defense Fund has helped tens of thousands of people across the country to fight back against these illegal, unethical mandates. So that's what I've been doing. Yeah. And, and it's such a wild time that you'd even have to form an organization to defend our health freedom. I mean, just that alone. And it's something that in November, um, November, November 12th, Health Freedom Defense Fund, Federal Employees for Freedom, uh, and several individuals, you being one of them, um, filed suit in the Middle District of Florida against President Biden and the Safer Federal Workforce Tax Force, challenging federal vaccination mandate for all federal employees. How did that pan out? I've been really curious about that. It's still working its way through the courts, Josh. 
um, several lawsuits are. So one thing that people need to understand is that when you file a lawsuit, it's a long process. It doesn't just get resolved overnight. And even if something called a preliminary injunction is granted, that doesn't mean that the lawsuit's over. It just means that whoever's trying to do something has to stop it. So there's been an injunction against that policy until the merits of the case are heard. And so in that specific case, what's going on is that there has been an injunction, a preliminary injunction. So I mean, it's temporary, it's not permanent, um, blocking the Biden administration from mandating the shots for federal employees in another case. They filed a preliminary injunction right before Christmas. We filed in November before any of the attorneys general from the different states gotten involved. And basically the whole momentum of what was going on shifted in December when these attorneys general got involved. And um, and they started to get some preliminary injunctions granted by the courts. And now what's happening is we're waiting for a... Um, a motion to transfer our lawsuit to another judge and then deciding what we're going to do. But basically this other case that's similar has gotten a preliminary injunction and now we're just waiting to see what happens in ours. But the next thing is, I mean, we feel very, very confident that the merits of our case are um, are legitimate and that they will be upheld in the courts. Um, it's just that it takes a long time. And so that's going on. Then we have a federal travel mask mandate lawsuit that's going on and that should be heard we should get a, we could get a decision in early April on that. Anyway, we have so yes. many lawsuits. So there's so many of these are going on. They're not resolved and it just takes time. So even if there is a preliminary injunction, that just means it's that the policy is paused while the case is heard. Mm. I've had so many people write in and so many people that have just been really passionate and like their whole lives have been changed. Bankruptcy. I can't even begin to think about how many hundreds of millions of dollars in bankruptcy just in America. And then if you expand that to the world that people have suffered through because of this really attack on bodily autonomy. So let's start there. Like, how would you even describe that? Because that word, I think, gets thrown around people that might not be presenced to that word bodily autonomy. What does that actually mean? And then can you juxtapose that based on where we actually are in the legality of this whole mess? So such an the united states was formed on the ethical and moral principle that we are sovereign beings each and every one of us that we have bodily autonomy that we get to decide how we live our lives what we put into our bodies how we keep ourselves well how we direct the upbringing of our children and everything okay bodily autonomy means just that, that you are a sovereign being and that your rights come from our creator, whatever you believe that might be, okay? It's so fundamental to everything it needs to be American. And yet what has happened over the last 250 years is that those foundational principles have been undermined, literally submarined by our ruling elite. And so we've gotten to this place now where you're constantly hearing, oh, you have to do something to save someone else. You have to do this because it's for the greater good, which was the name of our movie, hmm. um, in order to make people reflect on it, right? Not because we were endorsing it. Um, one of the pivotal, you know, truly seminal events that happened, of course, was the Second World War and the Nuremberg trials and the Nuremberg Code that came out of the Second World War decided that utilitarianism the notion that it's okay to harm some in service to the many 
is morally reprehensible. It was decided then and there that we would never do that again. That that would it wasn't okay to experiment on human beings for the benefit of the of, of the greater community. It's just not okay. And so that reinforced what we believe as Americans and what um, our country was founded on. But what's happened is that there's been all this legislation that's kind of undermined that undermined that over the decades. And so we've come very, very far from that principle. And there's a bunch of legal issues, which I can go into on that. But the fundamental idea is that bodily sovereignty is that you own your body. You own your body that no one else does and no one else can tell you what to do with it. And you own your children's body. You know, it's interesting. We experienced this firsthand and I have never talked about this on a podcast. So I'll tread lightly because I want to respect my partner and my son and my family. But we actually, we had to go to the NICU when my son was born and we had to literally defy the medical system and say, we're taking our son home. They wanted to do spinal tap. They wanted to do all these unnecessary tests that put his health in danger. And I turned to the physician and I said, so you're telling me that if there's a 0.0001 chance of him having this thing, or if it's a hundred percent chance, you treat it the same. And he turned to me and he said, that's right. And I thought to myself, how asinine is this, that just in case your neighbor might have something that would affect your family, like they might have a child that would play with your child and, and maybe alter the state of your child. That is the parent's right to decide where your children hang out with, who they hang out with, and especially for me, especially what needles and what procedures happen to my baby, to my son. And it was a, it was a moment where we had to have a CPS form that was filled out, child protective services. There was this huge buff dude that came to our house the day we brought our son home. I mean, it was an absolute abomination. And I said to the gentleman that came to our house, I was like, do you believe that you're doing this? And he's like, you know, honestly, I can't believe I'm here. Like he was caught up in the system himself. The, the chains and really just the ancient mindset around the state knows better than you, the parent, the state knows better than you, the human, do what we say, not what the data actually reflects. So let's talk about the data. I mean, that's just something that we can start with. Question for you first. The ancient belief, you think that's an ancient belief, really? That the state knows best? Ancient meaning when the state was formed, but not ancient to you and I as humans, not that type of ancient. Okay. Ancient, okay. ancient, like the fact that the IRS and many government institutions still use a fax machine, that kind of ancient. Okay. I just <laughs> that's, wanted that's to really clarify that. that because yes. especially if you look at, I mean, you know what the Declaration of Independence says, right? It says that this is a government we are forming by, of, and for the people. Yeah. And that all power in the government is derived from the people, which we can take away. So this idea that someone has any power over you is nonsense. Mm-hmm. And, but, but we have been brainwashed and programmed to believe that the government is the parent for decades, if, if not close to a century, which I'm happy to unpack as well, because mm-hmm. there's a huge um, agenda at play for all of this. And I just want to say, I have friends who, you know, have family members who they've, they've told hospitals that we do not want our child to get Hep B at birth or something like that. And these vigilante nurses take the children and inject them anyway. So be very careful when you go into those places, you know? Yes. One thing on that before we talk about the data is that was my, I guess you could say, introduction to really what I believe is somewhat of a demonic energy that has infiltrated the Western medical system. And look, I understand that sometimes people break lives people break legs and sometimes the medical system is really needed. So I'm not here to 100% demonize the medical system, but 
from my experience and what I'm sharing with you that I've never shared on a podcast before, it was profound, the level of darkness that I experienced. And so let's talk about the data when it really comes to the people that are being affected right now from, from your research and, and the people that have had their bodily autonomy broken, uh, really just no informed consent whatsoever. Are there any figures or is there any information you can share with us about this? I mean, we can talk about VARES, we can talk about anything you want, but let's start with something for people's logical mind. I mean, I gave my story about my son, but for people that don't have children or for people that have never entered the medical system like that, uh, what's really happening from a data perspective or just from an anecdotal research perspective? There's a lot of talk in this world about gut health. But when it really comes to gut health, you don't always need supplements to make your internal world sparkly clean again. The majority of the time, you can heal and nourish your gut simply by using the right foods and eating the right nutrients. For me and my family, when it comes to gut health, we start with food, specifically healthy, sustainable animal foods that are pasture-raised, organically spiced, and naturally fermented, like the pasture-raised turkey sticks from our partners and friends at Paleo Valley. Now, the naturally occurring probiotics is what truly sets these turkey sticks apart. Also, they taste amazing and they satiate me. They're GMO-free. They have delicious flavor. This beautiful satiating protein is digested with every bite. This cage-free, free-range, pasture-raised poultry. It's the equivalent of 100% grass-fed cows. You can feel good and pick up your multi-pack of these pasture-raised turkey sticks over at joshtrent.com forward slash paleo valley. Make sure you use the code josh, that's J-O-S-H, to get 15% off your entire order. Make your gut happy. Stop being hangry. No more hangriness. JoshTrent.com forward slash Paleo Valley. Use code Josh to save 15% off your entire order from my friends at Paleo Valley. What's really happening from a data perspective or just from an anecdotal research perspective? Oh my gosh, Josh, it's so huge to unpack. Um, I guess I'd say I think there are three major things that people should be taking into account. First of all is that a life insurance company came out a little over a month ago and said that there had been a 40% increase in death amongst 18 to 65-year-olds that's not related to COVID. Okay. Now, that is an extraordinary number. The, the, the CEO of the company said that a 10% increase would have been what's considered a two-sigma event or two standard deviations. And then that is that equates to a one in 200 year event. So that's an extraordinary event. This 40% increase is something that statistically should happen once in every roughly 2 billion years. I'm rounding up a little bit. Okay. What that tells us is that it's not chance. And that is just for the year 2021. And what's the only thing that was different in 2021 compared to every other year that's ever happened, that's ever passed? The injections. So then on the heels of that, a um, board member of a major medical insurer in Germany wrote a letter um, to the Paul Ehrlich Institute, which is like the CDC in Germany. And he said, listen, our data does not equate to your data. Our data on injuries and deaths and things from these shots shows that if we were to extrapolate it to the whole population, because I think their database was like 11 million people, if we were to extrapolate it to the entire German population of 90 million, I think is what it is roughly, um, it would equate to 3 million people being injured and killed. And 
um, instead of being applauded for speaking out and saying what the experience of this insurance company was, um, he was fired right before a meeting between his board himself. He was a board member and the Paul Ehrlich Institute. And basically it's just what's happened constantly since this whole thing began is that the voices of reason and the voices who are trying to, you know, exhort a little bit of caution are being silenced. So he was fired. He was canned. He didn't do anything wrong. He actually said, listen, this is the data. It doesn't add up. It doesn't jive with what the, um, your federal data is. And so what's going on here? And that's echoed in the United States, of course, by this life insurance company, but it's also then echoed by, there was some Department of Defense data that was leaked, which showed extraordinary numbers. And these are in healthy young recruits, right? Extraordinary numbers of injuries and death, all sorts of things from neurological problems and seizures and heart issues, heart problems and all these things to um, um, more benign things, but serious, serious issues and, a, and an increase in death as well amongst these young, healthy people. Um, and then you have the document dumps that are that have been happening with respect to the um, Pfizer clinical trials. And um, so there've been two things just to clarify. A few months ago, there were some documents leaked. I don't know if they were hacked or how they were gotten to, but those have been released. And there's like a 30 or 40 page document, which comes from the Pfizer clinical trials. And it lists nine pages, literally nine pages, just one thing after the other, comma, 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 you know, it's something like 1200 or 1500 different adverse reactions noted in the data that Pfizer submitted to FDA. And this was known in April of 2021. And yet they continue these shots. Okay. So then more recently, as of March 1st, we've seen the um, ICANN, you know, ICANN.org, um, which is ICANN Decide. It's the uh, nonprofit portion of the high wire. They have filed FOIAs, Freedom of Information Act requests, and they have received documents. You know, basically the FDA tried to block, FDA tried to block release of the Pfizer documents. I just want everybody to really digest that for a moment. Mm, just let that land. Yeah, a regulatory health agency that is supposed to serve your interest, the public interest, asked a federal court to block the release of Pfizer's clinical trial data. There's something wrong, seriously wrong with that, right? So this is starting to come out. And what we're seeing is that there were 45,000 people in the clinical trials, 42,000 people reported some kind of systemic, some kind of adverse reaction, many of which, if not most of which were systemic. And we're talking things from um, herpes outbreaks, like it's an exaggeration. It's There's been this problem with um, a kind of reinvigoration of latent infections. We're seeing that across the board, um, rashes, tons and tons of heart issues, myocarditis, pericarditis, heart attacks, um, you know, just, I, I can't, literally, it's like 1500 things, you know, different things, yeah. um, blood clots and seizures and brain problems and depression. And I mean, it's crazy what has happened. And 
you know, we have to put this in context, Josh, because, you know, I made this documentary, right? I'm a researcher. I spent eight years basically researching before I ever made the film. And the data that we had before already showed that these jabs, all jabs, not just these COVID injections, but all jabs are connected to autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis. They're connected to autism. They cause seizures and neurological complications. Um, they uh, cause deaths. They can cause an exaggeration or um, exacerbation of different kinds of um, of recent infections and, and you know, a recurrence of them. I mean, all these problems, right? They kill some people. They kill some recipients. That's a known fact. But these new jabs that have been introduced are causing these symptoms, this whole spectrum of injuries and adverse reactions at a rate that we have never, ever seen before. In fact, it's a thousand times as high as what we've ever seen. You know, if you look at all the data that goes along for 30 or 40 years, you'll see this number of deaths. This it's, it's a little bit each year. And then it's like this, it's off the chart. And if you just look back to the swine flu um, outbreak in, in 1976, there were about 50 serious adverse reactions, including deaths and Guillain-Barre and all these things. I think there actually might've been a few hundred Guillain-Barre's, maybe six or 700. But the shots were, were withdrawn from the market after fewer than, or about 50 deaths. We're now talking about 10,000 plus. It may be close to 20,000. I haven't looked in the last few weeks. It's extraordinary. And the people who are independent researchers looking at the VAERS data and there are whistleblowers as well telling us this from CDC and other places, that the true number of deaths in the United States alone is probably closer to 150,000, maybe more. So those numbers are you know, ridiculous. They say it's a little bit over 10,000. If you look worldwide in Europe, there's 30 or 40,000 deaths that have been reported. And yet these things are not being pulled off the market. And I think we all have to ask ourselves, if this is about public health, why are we not following the guidelines that we have followed for decades in the past. Why because it's never been about health. I mean, since day one, it's never been about health. And, you know, it's interesting the, the the word data gets thrown around a lot. I even asked you that. I was like, what's the data saying? Whoever's figuring out the data, whoever controls the data sets, whoever's sitting with the spreadsheets, your background is an immense amount of research and logistics around numbers and data. How easy is it for the, quote, data to be manipulated. And by the way, who gathers it, who disseminates it, and who publishes it when we talk about the data? What does that yeah. actually even mean? Well, let me unpack that in an in a in a kind of you know a roundabout manner, but it essentially it means nothing. Have you ever heard of the book How to Make Statistics Lie? No, but it sounds like a from the title I understand what it is. <laughs> it's a little tiny book. Yeah. I had to read it in high school or maybe it was in college. I can't remember. It was a course I took. And it's so let's just look at two things. So first of all, when you look at the COVID data, okay, they took the Pfizer trial and they looked at roughly 20,000 people in each group, the VAX and the placebo group. I'm just rounding, okay, 20,000 people. And they found that in the VAX group, there were about 10 cases. And in the um, placebo group, there were about 169 cases. 
Okay. So it was a difference between like 0.1%. I haven't looked at these numbers in a while. So these are very close, but they're not exact. But basically you went from 0.1% to 0.5% or something like that. They said that there was a, you know, a 95% reduction, but that's because there's a 95% difference between 0.1 and 0.01 and 0.1%. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. But what's the absolute change? That's relative risk that they are touting in the media. Okay. This is how you make statistics live. That's relative risk. So you had a, let's just round it. You had a 0.1% chance of getting the infection if you got the shot and you had a 1% chance of getting it if you didn't get the shot. So you had a 99 to a 99.9% .9 chance of not getting it, whether you got the shot or not. That's the, the absolute risk is almost zero on both accounts. And the relative risk is 0.95% because if you, do you understand what I'm saying? If I did the math, I, would, I could explain it to you. But basically, instead of saying, what's the absolute risk of even contracting this, they focused on the relative because that's the way that they can manipulate the numbers into making you think that the shots were really efficacious when they were not. And when you say the relative, can you, can you go into that, the relative? Okay. So the, the risk of getting, you get the jab the risk of getting an infection is 0.1%, okay? You don't get the jab, the risk of getting the infection is 1%. That's a 0.9% difference. That's relative, but the absolute risk comparatively is 99 compared to 99.9% .9 because only 0.1%, do does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm not a statistician, so I'm probably not explaining this very clearly, but basically, instead of looking what's the absolute risk, the absolute risk of you even getting it, according to their initial data, at the worst was 1%, okay? And if you got the jab, then it was 0.1%. Now, how do you compare those two? That's relative risk. Basically, you take 0.1%. Minus the, and I can't, I would, I need to, you know, like write it down. And take it through. <laughs> but basically it's, yeah. it's a 90% difference. And that's where they came up with their 95% difference in, but it was relative, not absolute. So yes. you would like, I mean, think about it. If you went to a mechanic and 99% of the time it didn't do anything, would that be good? No, they would, would say it's not doing it. I, and I know this because I used to be an automotive technician in, in a past lifetime. But you wouldn't uh, want anything, right? You want it to no. reduce it to change things dramatically. And it didn't. Yeah. So what you would have wanted to see is that 90% of the people were getting this and the reduction, the absolute reduction was down to 10%. But the truth was that you barely ever got it. 1% of the people were getting it, even in the placebo group. And that improved to 0.1% in the injection group, that's relative improvement of about mm. 90%. So basically what they're doing is they are giving you something that can only be explained as a canard. It's not something that's actually legitimate. They did the same darn thing with the shingles vaccination where you had a risk of getting that your absolute risk of getting shingles was 0.4% or rather 4% as an, as an elderly person. After you take the shot, it's 2%. And what do they claim? that it reduces 50% your chances of getting it. 
Do you see the mm-hmm. relative is only 2%. Mm. Right. Yeah. And, and to me, it hits home because I think about how easily I'm on Instagram a lot for my business and I'm on Facebook and I'm in the media as, as are you. And the thing that hits me the hardest is if you just took 30 days, let's say you consumed no media at all. And we weren't even talking about statistics. We weren't even talking about the relative or the percentages. And you just walked outside and you observed human behavior. You would know in your soul, you would know in your intuition that something was wrong that people were afraid, that literally freedom itself has not just been attacked in the past couple of years, but especially with the advent of these passports and the digital tracking and everything else. I mean, just in the end of February, the CDC came out with new guidelines where the heat map went from like all red to completely orange. And it was overnight. And it was actually when Ukraine got invaded by Russia. And I have to ask myself, Josh, I have to tell you something. It wasn't even overnight. They literally changed their calculation and instantaneously the number went from 90% of serious counties, I think is what it was, serious regions to 30%. It fell 60% at the click of a button. So when someone pushed that button, so, so this health freedom defense fund, what is, what is your company, what is your organization doing to shed light on just that one aspect, the malleability of data and really the attack on our autonomy of self, of body? Like how is, how is Health Freedom Def- Defense Fund nuts and bolts coming to the world and serving and helping people? What does that look like? Yeah. So let me just say really quickly, if I can, because I never finished the second piece. I just wanted to tell you that the federal government funded research through Harvard Pilgrim HMO many years ago, I don't know if it was 10 years ago or so, and they wanted to find out what the true number of adverse events was to injections, okay? And they and also how many of them were being reported. And what they found out was that fewer than 1% of all adverse reactions are ever reported to VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. And they also found something else out that was really terrifying, which is that about 2.5% of all recipients suffered a reaction. So this idea that it's super rare is one of the most, one of the biggest lies ever told by the federal government and by our health agencies. It's not rare and they're not being counted because people don't know what to look for. No one knows that there's a reporting system. The system is onerous. Doctors don't do it and all that. So I just think that was the second piece. I think it's really important to understand. And what happened when this data started to coming to light and the federal agencies were doing it, One sister agency said, hey, this is really interesting. What are we going to do about this? Silence. They shut it down and they never talked about it again. They shut the program down. It was supposed to go five years. It went for two years and it was quashed. Mm. So there are your health agencies. This is HHS. It makes the hair hair on my arm stand up actually when you said that. I didn't know about that. I'm constantly telling myself, Mm. stay in love with us. Stay in love. It's so hard to not be angry and to not hate. It it really is. And I think that the ultimate challenge too is everyone's patience and will is being tested. And so right now it's so important for us to practice emotional hygiene, emotional intelligence, you know, meditation, sauna, cold therapy, loving connection, honest, authentic communication, nonviolent communication. But we live in an age of violence, but it's happening on a very subtle level. So the violence that's occurring, it's occurring through illegal taxation. 
It's occurring through bodily autonomy laws that are being broken or maybe laws that were never even put into place. And so with the Health Freedom Defense Fund, it's not like you have a bunch of soldiers that you're putting out into the United States. This is something very different. So for people that don't know anything about the Health Freedom Defense Fund, how does it operate? So Health Freedom Defense Fund is, I mean, it's a few of us doing as much work as we possibly can. Um, And what we have is we have a team of a legal team that we work with. Davalier Law Group and some other law firms, but that's our main group that we work with. And what we do is we have groups of people who come to us. Originally, Josh, you know, I wanted this to be, and I hope longer term it will be this, that it will be just helping somebody like you who gets in a pickle where someone's, I mean, there've been crazy cases in the last 10 years where, you know, a family in Arizona had their door broken down by CPS at 1.30 in the morning because they didn't take their child to the doctor when the kid had a fever, well, or to the emergency room, the fever broke. The mom was like, kids, okay, no need to go. CPS comes, breaks down the door at one 30 in the morning, takes the kids, right? These are the kinds of things I hope we'll have to deal with in the future. Of course, I don't want to deal with it, but I hope it's on that smaller scale where there might be some one crazy person, right? But what happened and what we're doing is that this is a massive agenda, a global agenda that's being put in place over many, many decades. I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. And um, and I can provide you the evidence that explains that and proves it. But basically what happened was, you know, I believe God brought a man into my life at the end of 2019, who is a highly accomplished international commercial litigator. And like I say, I believe God brought him into my life because he had such experience, but he was also in the kind of later stages of his career. He didn't need to um, worry about who he was attacking. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to one of the big, really accomplished law firms, they won't touch what we do. They don't want to sue the pharmaceutical industry or the federal government. <clears throat> they are not interested in these kinds of things and they won't go anywhere near it. Literally, most of the best law firms won't. But this man has done some incredible things. And he was brought into my life at the end of 2019. And I started telling him about, you know, the whole vaccine issue and what was unfolding, what I believed. <clears throat> and started Health Freedom Defense Fund. So what we've been doing is we unfortunately were inundated with thousands and thousands and thousands of emails and requests for help. And so we had to actually stop trying. I mean, you can't physically reply to all those people. And so what we did was we said, listen, we want to help as many of you as possible. And that requires that you form groups at your employers And then help us because we don't have the funding to do all of this. We can't, I mean, these lawsuits can be three to $500,000 each. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And some of the bigger ones can be in the millions to tens of millions. You know, the bigger things that we have planned will cost millions of dollars. But the point is that, so we, we said, listen, we want to help as many of you as possible. So organize yourselves, form groups, start raising money. The other thing is you can help share the financial burden and then we'll work with you. And so we have filed over a dozen lawsuits in the last year and a half, which is an extraordinary accomplishment to anybody who knows how hard how hard it is to file a lawsuit. Yes. And um, <clears throat> we've sued a school district over two school districts over mask mandates. We've schooled a sued a city over a mask mandate. We have an existing, and those two of those are still in the works, are still live in progress. We have a lawsuit against the federal government for their travel mask mandate um, in the middle district of Florida right now. 
And um, I actually believe that the impetus between behind a lot of the mask mandates being repealed over the last few weeks was the uh, motion for a cross uh, cross motion for summary judgment that we filed in late February, which is, I think, bulletproof. And it's in front of a judge who is very reasonable and very liberty oriented. And I think there's no doubt that the federal government overstepped its bounds. The CDC does not have the right to tell individuals it has the right to regulate sanitation or, you know, issue rules relating to sanitation after proper noticing and public comment. So what's, what's happening is that um, the, the CDC is actually intruding into individuals' private lives, and it didn't have that right. It can't tell you to wear a mask. It can't. What it can do is control animal outbreaks um, of disease or something, sanitation, things like that. It's public health issues. It's not private health issues. Okay, and so we're fighting that. That's in the um, uh, in federal court, and then we've got several groups. So we have the teachers and staff at the Los Angeles Unified School District. We've just gotten to discovery on that, which is a big, big accomplishment. I think when you say discovery, what do you mean by that? What that means is that we actually get their documents now. We get to get their internal communications. And as far as I know, of all the lawsuits that have been filed, this is the first one that's gotten to that point across the nation. And so it's really good. It means that they couldn't get rid of us is what it means. So basically Mm -hmm. what happens when you file a lawsuit is the first thing they try and do is Um, they moved the court to dismiss the case. They just want to make it go away. So they motioned to dismiss. That didn't happen. It happened on the first one. The second time we sued LAUSD, um, they didn't even try to get it dismissed. And I think it's because they know they can't. And so what's happened is then we move to the stage of discovery. And so we have to give them all of our documentation supporting the case that we are arguing, which is that the vaccine mandate on staff and um, uh, teachers is illegal and that it needs to be stopped. And so we provide them all a supporting documentation that the LAUSD has actually implemented a vaccine mandate, that this is inappropriate and all these things. And then we get to see all their internal communications. This is what happens at Discovery. This is how you get all these document dumps in lawsuits is because you survive to the Discovery stage. It's a really mm-hmm. big accomplishment, okay? Mm-hmm. And so and the in- LA one, sorry to interrupt you. The LA one, the LA story has been the most bullish on the masks, the most bullish on the jabs. I mean, if there's any city, any county in the entire United States that has just been like fist in the air for taking away our autonomy, it's been Los Angeles. I am so excited about what y'all might find. I mean, is there anything you can share? Well, first of all, I think just a little tidbit that's really, really interesting to consider. We don't have any data yet. So we're just, we're giving them ours right now and they got to uh-huh. give us theirs. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It makes me giddy to think about it, Josh, especially because of this. Okay. LAUSD was the first school district in America to lock down. Okay. They were the very first school district to say, we're going to shut down no more school, despite the fact that children had zero risk. Okay. Statistically, zero risk. Here's what's really interesting. Guess who met with the UTLA, which is the United Teachers of Los Angeles Union, the big union in Los Angeles, the night before the Los Angeles School District, Unified School District, shut down. Take a wild Uh, guess. uh, Biden. Anthony Fauci. Oh, interesting. He he went to Los Angeles and he met with them. Mm. Very interesting, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. 
It's and very interesting. How also, many... what's been happening too is like Fauci. So we're recording this here at the beginning of March, actually at the end of March. And so when this comes out in April, I wonder, will people even hear from Fauci? He's just been missing. I've seen him on the side of milk cartons. He has been missing this this prominent figurehead that was every day on the news media with the bright uh, red and white and black ticker tapes and now he's gone he's literally gone and i didn't know that i didn't know that he met with this teachers union in la and the very next day they were the first district that shut down it's no surprise but why is he gone and and what is that all about so can i just say just so you guys all know we're suing the los angeles unified school district the city county of san francisco City of Haley, Idaho, the Blaine County School District in Idaho. Um, we sued the University of Chicago. Uh, we are suing on behalf of over 6,000 federal employees who were the heroes in 2020 and now are being told that if they don't get the jab, then they will lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. That's a fed- So that's against the Biden administration. We're suing on behalf of over 30,000 air- airline and travel industry workers. Um that one is on behalf, that's challenging the federal contractor and subcontractor mandate. Then we've got the federal travel mask mandate. And I know I'm forgetting something, but those are kind of a few that we're doing. Just so you know, we're pushing hard and representing all these groups, tens of thousands of people across the country. So I just want people to understand that's what we're trying to do at Health Freedom Defense Fund. And we need your help. We need your mm-hmm. support. Mm-hmm. You can help us by becoming a member. You can help us by, and that costs $10 once. Um, and you can help us by donating. You can help us by spreading the word, all those kinds of things. The, the more you can help us grow our, um, you know, our people's awareness of what we're doing, that we're trying to help you, the people, um, that helps all of us. So then coming to your question about what happened to him, to me, Josh, what this illustrates perfectly is that we were the subject of a psychological operation for two years under COVID, and we are now being subjected to a new psychological operation, the hallmarks of which are essentially identical in both cases. Fauci served his purpose. He, Everybody focused on him for two years, and now we need to get away from the fact that the Pfizer documents are coming out, that all these lawsuits are proceeding, that it's coming out that these jabs are extremely harmful, and the data shows that you're more likely to get sick, and you're more likely to get hospitalized, and you're more likely to die if you've gotten the jab than if you haven't. That's what the data all over the world is showing Mm -hmm. from the UK, Scotland, Israel, Denmark. I mean, this is what's showing negative efficacy. That means you're more at risk, not less. Okay. They've got to do something in order to refocus our attention away to the new boogeyman, the new crisis, something else for us to focus on. And so I think Fauci's gone away because what we're seeing is a psychological operation. And this is what this Dr. Matthias Desmet speaks about mass formation that we're all. Mm. Most people, 30% of the people are like hardcore, hardcore hypnotized. Yes. 40% are soft and 30% are awake. It makes me sad and in the past has affected my health. And we did, you know, when you came on the show in 2020, it was probably the most intensive backlash, censoring, and um, just hurtful comments that I think I'd ever received as a podcaster in almost seven years of doing this. And that picked my attention and picked my attention up because I thought if I'm receiving this much attention, whether it be good, quote, or bad, we're onto something here. <laughs> you know, we're onto something here. And so it's no surprise. I, I had heard Malone's interview and, you know, the 
the, I believe he's a physician that had the patent on some of these mRNA vaccine technologies. And he spoke very, very confidently about uh, the misappropriation and the misuse of this technology. And this is the patent owner. So everyone, I'm going to link the Joe Rogan here episode below this. But from where you sit now and what you're doing with Health Freedom Defense Fund, do you have an optimistic viewpoint? about the road ahead? I mean, a lot of this stuff can be pretty dark. It can be very saturating to the nervous system. So you've painted a very truthful, yet pretty freaking uncomfortable painting of the past hundred years or so for us. Where do we go from here? You know, what, what does the road ahead look like on, on both a subjective personal level and an objective societal level? Like, what are the steps to repair and to heal and to move forward with love? So let me just say, he was Robert Malone. I think you're talking about the Joe Rogan interview, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I highly recommend people watch it. I also seriously recommend the Majid Nawaz podcast. That is unbelievably good. It's He is so articulate, so well-spoken. He was a um, He was involved with some terrorist groups. He never mm. did anything violent, but he was actually recruiting them for... Um, you know, for the kind of thought war. And um, he realized the error of his ways during imprisonment in an Egyptian prison for five years. Anyway, really seriously, look at that because it's mind blowing. And he's all about trying to win an ideological war through love and diplomacy and peace and not through violence. Mm. So I highly recommend that. So Malone, he, um, he helped develop it. He wasn't, he's not the sole patent owner, just so that just to clarify. He's one that. of the patent He's owners. one of many people, yeah. but he was one of the first, I think he was the first person to actually figure out how to transfect a cell. And so that's a big thing. Um, but, you know, it's not like he owns it all or he's profiting from it. I just want to make sure that people understand that, you know, that he had, he plays a huge role intellectually in all this, but he's not profiting from it. Um not to my knowledge. I don't think he's ever said he has, and I'm pretty sure and I'm quite sure he's not. But anyway, so what we're trying to do is, you know, Josh, how do I say this diplomatically? I don't think there's any way to say it. Um, we are in we are in a war. Okay. It's just that most people don't realize it because no shots have been fired in this country. But we are in a spiritual war and an information war. And the spiritual war is between those who believe that you're nothing more than a bag of bones and those who believe, like you and I do, that um, we're much greater, more powerful, and more important beings than that. I personally believe that we are individual points of consciousness, you know, spiritual beings having a physical experience here in this physical reality. And I think it's really important to understand that, that there are people like, have you guys, have you seen this, this video from Yuval Noah Harari? Yes, I have. And it was incredibly shocking. We're going to link that. It's actually on, I think, Rumble or some of the other sites because it's yeah. been completely removed from YouTube yeah. where human beings are essentially looked at as cattle. He's a known transhumanist. Yes, he is. And he says the idea that you have a soul, that there's something unique or special going on inside of you, that's over. That's what he says. That's over. We can hack you. We can hack you and we will. That's what he says. That's his whole argument. And this, of course, he is the one of the technology advisors for the World Economic Forum. Okay. So, and the World Economic Forum is basically has come out saying that, you know, there's a huge future in front of us, which is transhuman. 
Mm-hmm. And it's also the future where you will own nothing yes. and you will like it. <laughs> you will this like is Klaus it. Schwab but and his somebody cronies. will own something. Somebody will own everything. Right. You will rent what you need, they say. So you'll rent yes. from them, from the from the rulers. Anyway, so I'm sharing that, like painting that, because I think it's so important to understand this backdrop is that there's a war going on. And it's really important because you have to know your enemy. And it's so easy for those of us who are spiritually oriented to believe that every single person means good. And if you're just kind and good and decent to them, that they will be kind and decent and good to you. And that's not necessarily true. And I'm not saying that that is ever a justification for violence. It's just that you have to understand that because you can't just think that, you know, well, if I'm just nice, everything will be peachy. We have to be really strategic. We have to be intelligent. And yes, we have to, we have to lead with love, right? Mm-hmm. And so my new mantra is globalism is the problem. Localism is the solution. And when I say that, what I mean is that we need to come together and build, strengthen, fortify, reclaim our communities. We must reclaim them from the powers that are trying to centralize them under a one-world government. And that means doing everything you can to develop a local food system, to develop a true health care system, not a sick care system, to create a local currency. Because let me tell you, what's coming next is implementation of central bank digital currencies. They will destroy all of the cryptos. They're already talking about it. In fact, Biden signed an executive order to um, instruct Janet Yellen and others, federal agencies, to evaluate the way to regulate, essentially, cryptocurrencies and digital assets. It's They're going to take them over and they're going to then fold them all into the digital currency. And I, I hell I have a healthy debate with you on that because of the blockchain. Well, because of the blockchain tech, it cannot be compromised. The global ledger exists on so many different computers with so many different human beings. There would have to be a mass formation psychosis so intense and so severe for people to literally stop mining and deleting records. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm not that, saying I think that, that, but what they'll say is it's no longer legal. You can't do it. I mean, listen, it's a great thing and it's going yes. away. I'm just saying it's there's serious danger here. Okay. Well, there's and many they, wars to fight. Yes. <laughs> that is for sure. Yes. There's a, there's a lot going on. Yes. And so that's, I'm just saying, look, they've already showed their cards, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. He just put it, signed an executive order yes. authorizing a review of what to do. And so again, it's just coming back. I think local currency is a really good idea as well. What do you mean by that local currency? Well, you know, I remember like decades ago, there was a local currency in a place in Boston, outside mm. of Boston. You can actually, I mean, look, you could all agree that cowrie shells are your currency, right? It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. The, the time, the time, the time for us to just like focus on how much money we're making and focus on going to the bar on the weekends and what sports teams are going on and what's happening with current events. Those times have been over for a long time, but if you're here with us and you're feeling what Leslie's saying, those times are definitely over today. And I, it's funny, I, I had a conversation with Robert Breedlove. He's a very huge proponent of Bitcoin and of cryptocurrencies. And I was listening to him speak and he was talking about this concept of the oppressor and the oppressed. And it made complete sense to me. And it was like, this is why I love podcasting because my mind gets expanded like live, right? And I'm listening to what you're saying about health and it's the exact same model when it comes to money and it's the exact same model when it comes to real estate and when it comes to really 
all things. And, and that is that we're all waking up from a really long slumber here. And I think the best way that we can wake up isn't to go out and, and shout for bloodshed in the streets. It's to have community conversations on a 10 person, 100 person, 100,000 person level where we can actually just practice the art of listening to one another again. I think a lot of the why that we're in this spot in the first place, and I'm curious how you feel, is because we've just simply lost the art form of listening and of having real conversations. The art of dialogue um, has been killed, and it's because of cancel culture and because of really cognitive dissonance. I think there's another piece Josh wishes that there has been an agenda. So in 1913, a bunch of things happened. In 1913, the um, 16th Amendment was passed, which allowed the federal government to tax American citizens. Okay. But there was an exemption written in the 16th Amendment, and that was an exemption for the super rich. They could put their money into giant private foundations, the Rockefeller Foundation, the Carnegie Foundation. Ford Foundation. That's what happened. Okay. And those foundations were investigated in the 1950s under the, a congressional committee called the Reese Committee. And the leader of the um, investigation was a lawyer by the name of Norman Dodd. And he went to many of these private foundations and he asked them, you know, tell me, what is your objective? And they actually told him, they said to install collectivism in America. Okay. Collectivism is a nice word for communism. That's what it is. Okay. And that's really important because those same foundations have captured science, medicine, academia, or universities, education. And this is critical because it connects into what you were just talking about. Yes, we have cancel culture. Yes, we have a need for dialogue. But how did it get there? It got there because we were dumbed down over many decades, and because we've been brainwashed, those same groups own the, the media as well. Mm-hmm. Gates gave a billion dollars. The Gates Foundation gave a billion dollars, gave to the media in the first decade of this century, and about 300 million in the last several years. Um, and so I would say that what's really happened is that there's been this massive agenda that unwitting Americans have been totally oblivious to, and simultaneous to that, Americans have been gotten sick, fat, and happy. They've been too focused on their um, whatever lives, like you just said, you know, sure. getting going to the bar and on, hanging on out and just having like, fun. You know, gathering things like boats and cars and houses and all this stuff. And it's just such a charade. It really yeah, is. And, and Josh, this is the thing. What did our founding fathers tell us? They said that we have a system of government that only works when the population is educated and moral. And what has been undermined in the last 50 years in this country? Tremendously, education and morality. And so what happens now is that we're not on the same page, educationally or moral-wise. And it's really important. I just wrote a um, substack, and it's also a blog on our website, healthfreedomdefense.org, all about, it's called a lesson in civics. And it's about the failure of Americans to engage, because not only do we need to be moral and educated, but we have a duty. Freedom is not something that you just sit back and relax with. Freedom is something that's defended. It is protected. It is um, asserted every single day. And it is our duty as Americans to defend it and to come together in love 
who defended, to say what's right, to say that I respect your choices and you respect mine, right? That's where we have to go. And that's the only solution. All right. Well, the solution exists right here in this podcast. Everybody can go to healthfreedomdefense.org or .com. Mm -hmm. Dot org. Dot org. So it doesn't have to be this massive financial thing. You can give 10 bucks. You can organize in person. You can share this podcast. A lot of the concepts, a lot of the conversation we had, Leslie, probably took some people's breath away, right? And that's okay because wisdom isn't always easily digested. And a lot of the reason why we shifted this podcast from wellness force to wellness wisdom is because I've learned, especially after becoming a father, some of the biggest, most powerful lessons I ever learned come from the most incredibly discomforting times. And I feel like we're right there. If society was a child mm -hmm. and consciousness was a parent, I feel like we're like 11, 12, 13 years old. We're almost an adult. We're still figuring out how to live, how to live in a very integrous way how to have harmony, but we're just not there yet. And yeah. you know, my, my question to you as we say goodbye and we round out is this, if we defend freedom and if we come together, do you feel there's going to be a natural bifurcation of people that don't care and people that do when it comes to freedom? And what do you think that might look like? So a couple of responses to that. Number one is that I follow and have for eight or nine years now a guy named Martin Armstrong, armstrongeconomics.com. And I think he's really, really worth paying attention to. And he has these models that predict that the United States will um, divorce, essentially, that it will cease to exist after 2032, and that um, that we will divide into those who care and those who don't. And you know, I posted on Facebook. Do you remember when Ed Snowden's, when he revealed all the stuff about the prison program, how the NSA was spying on you and that you should cover up the camera on your computer and all these kinds of things. Yes. I posted about it on Facebook and I said, you know, this should terrify all of us. And this childhood friend of mine wrote, what do I care? I'm not doing anything wrong. Hmm. And, and I was just like, oh my God, we're doomed. <laughs> This is the thing. There are people who've gotten to a point where they don't really care. They are so apathetic. And that's why I say there's a spiritual war. There are those of us who want to grow and we want, I mean, I don't say I relish the pain, but I certainly embrace it. Right. I mean, I've had more darks nights of the soul at 58 than, um, than I can count, you know, but the thing is, I'm who I am because of that, right? Yeah. And and these are the huge opportunities to grow and to go deeper and to become more conscious and aware every single day of who I am and to be the mother I dreamed of being and, and have been to my son, right? And this is what has to happen. And so I think we have to get to a point where we have to accept that there are some people who choose a different path and that's okay. And we have to let them go. And so, yes, I believe that our country will bifurcate. Yes. I think that will happen. And I think that, I guess my, the, the thing I want to share most and leave you with is that I look at what's happening in the first part of 2020. So I've had this, you know, I have done all this research for 20 years and I also have a kind of bizarre capacity for um, vision. And I told my husband within the first couple of days of January of 2020, you mark my words, China is locking down to teach the rest of the world how to do it. This is all coming here. This is everything that I've been fearing for 20 years. Oh my gosh, it's finally happening. And, and I spent the first four or five months of 2020 in deep pain 
because I knew what was coming and I knew how bad it was going to get. And people around me kept saying, it's not going to get that bad. And of course, everything that I said to them privately to my family has come true. Yes. And I spent those first four or five months crying a lot, Josh, because I had to grieve. I had to grieve that the life that we had known is gone. Now, that's really sad. But here is the beautiful part of that. We get to rebuild the world we want to live in. And we will. And we start by doing that in our own communities. And the thing is, as scary and uncomfortable and it's just uncomfortable, right? All the uncertainty. It's frustrating. It's intimidating. It's all these things. We were born for this day. We were born for this time. And we get to actually create the world that you and I have been talking about and envisioning for so many years, right? For decades, I've been talking about the dangers of Roundup and and the way that we live our lives. I've been talking about the dangers of modern medicine. I've been talking about all these things. We get to redo it and that will happen. And so I try to, I'm trying to really pivot away from the loss and all the pain and all the sadness and all the, the fear toward the vision of what can come, what can be. And I think that's what we all have to try and do. And remember that duty that it's only going to happen if we all engage, if we all get involved, if we all stand up and we all say, this is what we want. And we come together with those who want it as well. Hmm. Beautifully put. And we're in one hell of a theater. That is for sure. So by the time that I leave the planet and I educate my son and my future children and, and my community, the only thing that I'll really have when my soul leaves the world is how I showed up. You know, was I honest? Was I noble? Did I tell the truth? Did I do my best? We talk about values and virtues a lot in the world, but to actually live them, to embody them, it's much, much different than to pretend or to bolster that they're there when they're not. So as we say goodbye, you know, what are you in belief that's true about? What do you feel in your body? What do you know to be true in your body about wellness now with all the things you've been through with your adverse reactions to the shots you got to the mission you now lead with the health defense fund? What do you believe is wellness now? I asked you this question in 2020. How would you define wellness now? What does that even mean to you to live your life well? I think wellness to live your life well, first of all, you have to um, feel inspired about what you're doing. And my son's a freshman in college and he called me a few weeks ago and he's at a very elite institution. And he said, I want to transfer. And I was like, okay. And he said, I don't want to become a mindless robot. And that's what I see happening around me. And I think that's just, wow, at 19, he gets that, right? It's so beautiful. And I think it's important. You know, there's been a mass resignation. Have you heard about this? No. Something like 30 or 40 million people have quit their jobs. Now, maybe it's because- Oh, yes. Yes, I have heard of that. Okay. Yes. I think a lot of it is because they didn't want to get the shots, but that's not the only thing. Right. I think it's also because part of the um, you know crisis has been that people have awoken to whether or not they're happy in what they're doing. And they don't want to be mindless robots. They want to be something else. And so I think that's really critical is that you have to do something that actually fulfills you, that inspires you. Um, and I don't think that you can be well unless you are doing something that fulfills you and inspires you. And secondly, I think you have to work on yourself enough to the point where, and I mean, I'm not saying that I'm there, you know, I work on myself every day, 
yeah. but that you um, keep working on those things, whether it's anxiety or whether it's anger or whether it's, you know, whatever it might be that, yeah, I don't know, suspicion or something, you know, it's like, it could be all these things like, okay, that's an interesting pattern and in, that I have. And what am I going to do about that? Yeah. How am so- I going to address that? And then thirdly, and so importantly, is you have to have community, Josh. And I can tell you that since, thankfully, I'd been speaking out for so long that people in my small community all started reaching out to me in March, April, May of 2020. And they were like, calling me less. What's really happening? Because they knew that what was happening wasn't right, but they couldn't figure it out. And because I've been so involved for so long, they thought I would have a perspective on it. And what's happened now is that I've created this community in my own community of people who are from all different walks of life, all different political spectrums, but they all care about freedom. They all know that they've been lied to and they all want to have community. And I think if you don't have those three things, you're not going to be well. Mm. Beautifully put. Also, I would say that we all need to breathe more (laughs) and be less of a victim of the mind, a victim of the intellect. So there's a lot of emotional hygiene practices that we'll link right here in this conversation with Leslie as well. Healthfreedomdefense.org. Healthfreedomdefense.org is the site. Leslie, thanks for coming on the show. Josh, thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure and my honor. And it's just so wonderful to spend this time with you. Thank you. I'm glad that I have an ally, especially with all that's transpired in the last couple of years. You guys get involved. Leslie is going to be continuing her mission. You can continue the conversation at wellnessforce.com forward slash community. You can get all the show notes today as well. We'll link those right below. We'll talk to you guys soon. And until we see you again, Leslie and I are both wishing you love and wellness. This podcast is brought to you by our trusted friends at Organifi, the creators of the Organifi Gold, my number one turmeric lemon balm and superfood adaptogen bombshell that, trust me, will make you sleep like a baby. I know this because I use it on the regular. Not only is this one of my top sleep supplements I use personally, but also it helps my nervous system and my stomach calm down at the end of the day in the evenings especially if I've had a stressful day. I know you have those too because you're human. (laughs) And because we're human, the best thing to do is take loving care of the human body, starting with quality sleep, not just quantity. This is gonna allow you to have the highest quality of life possible. So if you've been struggling with sleep, give this superfood adaptogen powder, the Organifi Gold, a test drive for a special deal over at wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi. O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi. Pick up a 30-day supply, give it a test drive. If you don't like it, you can send it back, but no one's ever done that. (laughs) As far as I've heard, 20% off is the biggest discount you'll find over the entire internet. We're grandfathered in. These savings are for you. Head over to wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi and use the code wellnessforce. Share this with your friends, your family, and anyone who wants to drink the gold and sleep well. Thank you for being here with us on the podcast. You can access all the wellness and the wisdom over at joshtrent.com forward slash podcast. You can get every single thing you need to access all the wisdom you have inside of your body and heart and soul right at joshtrent.com forward slash podcast. If you want to be coached directly by me and be a part of this thriving wellness force global community, just go to joshtrent.com forward slash M21. Start your journey today. Get the M21 wellness guide with six science-backed practices that'll help you body, mind, and soul start your day with the right intention 
and the right mindset so your physical body can give you love back. That's joshtrent.com forward slash M21. Start today. I'm waiting for you. You have the community right here, right now at your fingertips. You just have to have the courage to take the first step. joshtrent.com forward slash M21 to get your free 21-day six-part science-backed guide.